0: Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio, I'm your host Bill DeFilippo. Nick Pollock is not here, because even though we're posting this on a Monday after a football game, this is a basketball podcast, so the usual basketball crew is here, Chad Markulix, how you doing? Howdy. Eric Gibson, what's going on? What's happening? And Dan Smith. Dan, how you doing? Hi Bill. Dan is actually on an edition of the Hoops pod after Good Things Happened, which I didn't no, was possible. But Dan, I'm glad that you're here to talk about something like happy and positive and upbeat and optimistic regarding Penn State football. It's a very weird time in my life. Well, we're gonna we're gonna try and make it fun Uh because we're talking about six and one Penn State Nittany Lions. Uh, Penn State started the year with five straight wins. Uh, lost to a really good Texas A and M team. We're going to probably spend most of the podcast talking about that. I say probably because. Listen, I have no idea. And then they beat Oral Roberts. Uh, again, 6-1, and one, going through the opening stretch of the schedule with the record, Eric, that I think uh, we all expected out of Penn State, but did we expect Penn State to, or did you expect Penn State to, you know, win a few of these games by 30-plus points and win every other game other than the A&M game by, like, double digits?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that was, you know, with the way the schedule set up, you know, they were supposed to definitely win these games. But um, especially in the last week or so, the last four or five games, they've really hit their stride. I mean, they were kind of shaking the opener. Uh, That was the Tony Carr, you know, carrying the team to that opening win over uh, Chris Clemens. But uh, since that game, though, they've definitely kind of hit their stride offensively and defensively. Um, and yeah, beating Penn State, beating anybody by 30 points, um, is not something that we're accustomed to at all. So, um, obviously that helps the statistics, that helps the efficiency ratings, and we're happy to announce here that Penn State has its highest ever rating in Ken Palm of all time, which I think currently is, I don't know what we are today, I haven't checked it today. We were, we were 34. All right, so we're 36. Obviously that there's movement as games get played, but, um. But yeah, so it's been legit, like, uh, these games that they've won. I mean, they, they've had a couple injuries to start. Um, obviously, you know, the Mike Watkins suspension, I, f- I feel like that was the last time we, we did a pod was before the season. He was suspended. We didn't know how that, how long that was going to be. Turned out to be just one game. Um, so he's working his way back. Obviously, uh, his uh, presence is of vital importance to this team because we, we got to see some extended run of Julian Moore and Satchel Pierce with, Pretty uh, average at best <laughs> returns. I mean, I'm <laughs> trying to be charitable here. Um, and then, uh, you know, um, yeah. So things have been going. Oh yeah. And then Tony Carr uh, hurt himself in that Montana game. Um, that was kind of like a nail biter. There. Uh, Montana was. Uh, they, they came with a good effort. They had just come off a win up, uh, against Pitt, so they they were a confident team coming in. Didn't really know how that game was going to go. And then once Tony Carr went down in the middle of the or at the beginning of the second half, we all kind of were holding our breaths there because it's like, Oh, here we go again. Here's the, the excuse built in for them to lose like this, um, early season game that they always lose, but they, they managed that, um, won the next game without Tony Carr and Josh Reese, which is pretty crazy. I mean, not that again, Columbia, not a great team. Um, but for Penn state to, to cover the spread and win by 14 points without two starters, um, was definitely encouraging. And then they went to Brooklyn, um, so, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to, like, like I said, I don't want to dominate the conversation like I t- have a tendency to do here. So, you, if you want to talk about the pit, for lacking.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm happy to go into Pitt. And, Chad, uh, let's, uh, let's start with you when we're talking about Brooklyn. I mean, I, Eric was very confident that Penn State was going to beat Pitt. I think we all thought Penn State was going to beat Right, but it's the manner in which they did it. Where, don't get me wrong, Pitt is not a good basketball team by any stretch of the imagination, but it still looked like Pitt didn't even deserve to be on the floor with Penn State, which is a thing that we're, I I can't remember a time when we have ever had said something like that about Penn State and a Power Five team that wasn't like Rutgers.
2: Right. Yeah. Um. I rewatched the game a little bit today, uh, like the first half and most of the second half. Um, just to kind of relive the euphoria of that game. But also like, um, I, maybe I just got caught up in the moment, but I, I rewatched it today and, and I don't think Penn state played particularly well. Um, pit's just really bad. Um, but, and still, you know, and, and Penn state, maybe this, this wouldn't have been the case in other years where they would have maybe played down their opponent, but I mean, they didn't play that well, but they certainly played well enough to, to smash pit. Um, they, they just, um, came out, and hit a lot of open shots. Um, and really, I mean, Tony Carr was four four from three in the first half and they were up, I don't know, like 28 at halftime. Um, and then they just it just blew it open. The defense has just been so good in that game and really in every other game except for the A&M game uh, has been outstanding so far. Um, so, I mean, that kind of tells you like what like that's their crutch this year is they can they can rely on that defense to just to, to play well night in night out. And get them wins against teams that are not as athletic as them, or, or teams that are just you know. I mean, I mean Pitt really is um, just short like a garbage fire we, team. We, maybe we not, really
0: cannot stress enough that Pitt is they're really bad, bad. They're like bad. incredibly <laughs> they're, bad.
2: I don't know if they're as bad as Rutgers was like the last in the last years of Eddie Jordan, but um, you know they they just they have the talent, They have bit more talent, I think, than that Rutgers team. But um, like in the perimeter, because that that Rutgers team was just like. Diabolically bad uh, on the outside, but
3: um, I, I mean, they're in the conversation. Pittsburgh did, is for yeah, worst power five team,
2: and they're, they're they probably will end up having a worse record than that Rutgers team did because they play in the ACC, which is um, going to be like a, a pretty deep league top to bottom, except
3: for them this year. So, I mean, you know, the last I looked at going you know, on Ken Palm, I think Pitt, Pitt was second worst power five team with only Washington State being worse, and Washington State just beat St. Joe's, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, Washington I mean, State's like it's in competition.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I do give Pitt credit. They are good enough that they can keep a player of Monty Boykin's caliber off the floor. I was but, just going to say,
2: yeah, poor Monty, uh, poor
0: poor Monty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Dan, I yeah, I mean, let's stay on the Pitt game for a second. I really want to talk about because you know the second half, Penn State is emptying its bench. Uh, the big story in the game of the second half was that Steph Curry had the gall to attend the game and just dominated the conversation. So let's just talk about Yeah, they, that. they went yeah. to the
3: double box where it was like <laughs> just showing Steph Curry watching Penn State play Pitt, which seems unprecedented. Yeah. But, I was I was uh, unable
0: to watch most of uh, the second half because I was busy watching Wafar Ball on CNN, which is a very th- weird sentence to say. But I do want to talk about the first half. Uh, Basically, you know, Penn State, 47 points, Pitt scores 21. Chad posited that he didn't think Penn State played especially well. But in a 47-21 half against any team, you have to be doing something right. So what was working for Penn State over the first uh, 20 minutes of the game against Pitt? And is that something that can be replicated going forward, or is it just something that, you know, uh, Pitt is a very extremely bad basketball team?
3: I don't know if there's really, you know, a, a anything, you know, you can talk about numbers wise that would, that would tell you, you know, something you don't already know. But I think just in watching the team, uh, you know, it, there is, there's a confidence there that hasn't been there in the past because they seem to really understand their own identity, and I think, you know, there there is that comfort level is really showing itself in some of the games that, that you're that you're talking about. You know, the pit being sort of the best example of that. Um, you know, it's I I was there last year when they played Pitt and they lost at the Prudential Center. And, you know, it's largely the same players that are in the mix that you're talking about. It's the same starting five. But it's like night and day compared compared to last year, just in terms of the you know the the ability of this team to go out and play the game the way that they want to, um you know it, and and that's that's something that I I really don't recall for a very long time seeing from a Penn State team where you know they have a way that they know that they can beat you and they're just they're going to get the shots that they want they're going to you know play a uh, a, an aggressive style of defense that's going to be disruptive. Uh, you know, and that, I think that that, uh, you know, overall is, it was probably b- the, the pit game that best showed that, uh, in terms of, you know, and I think it certainly helped that it was a bit of a revenge game for them. There, there was definitely motivation when they were in there, uh, you know, for, for a lot of the guys on the roster who had been involved last year. You you, know, you could see that they you know they were really enjoying themselves uh, as they were as they were you know dismantling this team that you know as we said, clearly a bad team. but uh, you know I, I think it's that identity and the the confidence that they have now that they can have success playing the game the way that they play it as a team that's really uh, really defined the early going of this season here.
0: And on the other side of that, there was the championship game Brooklyn Penn State takes on Texas A and m. Uh, Aggies win 98-87, to 87, but Eric, uh, I don't think there were too many Penn State fans who were disappointed in this one. Uh, in the event that someone is listening to this podcast and didn't watch that game, uh, there may be one person who ends up doing that, but in the event that happened, like why weren't Penn State fans... Too terribly upset that Penn State lost a game in which they allowed eighty-seven, uh, in which they allowed
1: ninety-eight points. Um, probably because it was the most fun Penn State basketball game, um, in quite some time. Um, just like both teams going at it. Um, incredible talent across. You know, we can talk about Texas A&M. Um, you know, that team's that team's stacked. Um, you know, they they yeah. They're already getting a lot of um, preseason chatter about how they're going to be one of the, the top teams in the SEC. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's super early, but right now they look like the best team in the SEC. Um, you know, loaded with upperclassmen, their front line going 6'10", 6'10", 6'9". Um, two NBA front court caliber. Uh, you know, you got Robert Williams, who's going to be a lottery pick, and Tyler Davis is, you know, I think he's a senior. Um, and was like first team all SEC last year. So they're loaded. Um, but, but it was great. This was obviously a, a big measuring stick game going into it for Penn State. Um, considering how weak the opening part of the schedule was, here was their first legitimate test. Um, and it was a weird game. It was a very high scoring game. Nobody really expected that going in. Um, both these teams kind of their foundation is on the defensive end, um, Penn State obviously really struggled with um, defending the Aggie size. Uh, Robert Williams, I think, dunked like eight times. Um, it was it was crazy. So they really struggled defensively, which is, is something that's going to we're going to have to watch like going forward as the competition kind of becomes more consistent and not as you know as elite as like a Texas A and M, who honestly probably, other than Michigan State, would be right up there at the top of the Big Ten. Um, you know, we got to see how Penn State looks defensively against some of these mid-tier teams because right now they're killing all these overmatched teams. Uh, but in this specific game, though, what was so encouraging for for Penn State people is just how Penn State wasn't phased at all. They they rose to the occasion. You know, so many times this program, whenever they get into a a, a venue like the Barclays Center or any any like any of these early season tournaments, they kind of always crap the bed sometimes or, or or most of the time. Um, but this time, you know, Tony Carr came out and just, um, you know, his first half performance there where he scored 21 points on eight shots he only missed one shot. Um, and I think he scored the last 15 points of the, of the first half for Penn State. Um, that was, that was a statement. Um, it was pretty impressive. They, they had, uh, they didn't have anyone who could guard him after he got, uh, Admon Gilder, their best defender in foul trouble. Um, and he kept pace with them. So uh, we went into the half down – I think we were down, right, For, 42-40? 42-40. Uh, yeah, so so that was definitely encouraging. Um, you know, obviously, you know, there was that run that Texas A&M went on. Um, Penn State had a couple turnovers, which led to some runouts to some Robert Williams dunks, and they had the momentum. Um, but the other thing was as soon as they got down 17, that that 0 burst that they had um, when they brought Jamari in because Shep was struggling – and they went to the three-quarter court press, and they came back within like a minute. That was like, when have we ever seen that before? Um, so, you know, you don't want to take moral victories here, because especially with the way the schedule is, they, that was a game they're probably going to ha- look back like, yo, I wish we, we could have won this game for their postseason resume. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of positives to take from that, from their performance. Yeah, and I,
0: I think that's kind of been the big thing, the big overarching thing for the uh, for the start of the season is Penn State is doing a lot of things that it just hasn't done in the past. Not in terms of like what they're doing on the floor or anything like that, but look at the Montana game, for example. Tony Carr ends up going down uh, right at the half with a bum ankle. He misses the second half of that game. Uh, Shep Garner misses some time with a nose injury. I think Mike Watkins... Uh, might have been in a little bit of foul trouble. I know he didn't play too terribly much. And then, yet Penn State's able to go out and cover and get that win. Then there's the game against Columbia. I mean, don't get me wrong. Montana and Columbia are not like world beaters or anything, but they're still not. It, it always seems that Penn State drops one of those lazy early season home games against Columbia. No Tony Carr, no Josh Reeves, who always provides that little bit of a spark plug and some energy and whatnot. They play Jamari Wheeler 36 minutes. They end up winning that game by 14 points. Go down big against Texas A&M. They come come back. They keep fighting. They keep going for it and they're not able to get uh you know back to the finish line, but you know what? They still put up a valiant effort against you know Robert Williams is I mean, hear Miles Bridges is going to be the highest draft pick in next year's draft that Penn State plays against this year. I mean, there's well, he's supposed to have a good game against every team. Penn State just ended up being one of those teams. And they kept fighting. They were resilient. And part of the reason, Chad, uh, just through the scope of the a game was the play of Tony Carr. And I feel comfortable saying that Tony Carr looked like a guy who can play in the NBA in that game because he was able to do whatever he wanted to do out on the basketball court.
2: Yeah, I mean, as far as the NBA goes, there are still questions about his athleticism. But other than that, I mean, he was hitting a lot of tough shots. Uh, I mean, and obviously he's uh, right now 13 for 20 on the year from three point range. That's a huge improvement. That's not going to stay, you know, that way. He's not going to stay at 65 percent for the year. But, um, you know, obviously that's improved. Last year he was 30 percent or so from three. Um, and he's just, you know, he has like that mid range game uh, because he's a six five point card that, he you know, they post him up a lot. And he'll just do that Sean Livingston kind of thing, and just and take guys who are uh, smaller than him down in the block, and and just rise up and shoot over them. Um, and yeah, I mean he's 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 so much more improved from last year, um, and he was good last year. So, uh, you know, he's clearly the star for this team. He's averaging twenty points a game right now. Um, he they'll go as far as he can take them for sure on offense uh, because he is like, you know, he he's going to be the driving force in a lot of these in these these Big Ten games for sure. Uh, they're going to they're gonna need him to play well. Um, and, you know, I, I the turnovers are down too. The assists are up. Um, you really can't say enough about his start so far. Um, he's also, and
0: it, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's also uh, among qualified players, the top player in the country in offensive rating, correct?
2: Yeah, he has among... Players with the 28% usage rate, uh, he has the highest offensive rating in the night in the nation among those players. Now there aren't there are not that many of those players because there are only so many players who have that, uh, who who dominate the ball like that. But um, still, you know, I mean, f- to have that kind of usage or to have that kind of offensive rating and and that if efi- those kind of efficiency numbers with that much usage and you know he's seeing that much of the ball is is highly impressive. Um, yeah, and, and just the way he's doing it, the way he's, he's just hitting tough shots and he's improving his two-point percentage, too. Like, that was a big question coming into the year. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he can keep this up, but uh, it's certainly entertaining to watch so far.
0: Yeah, and Dan, I want you to to talk about uh, one final player who I really want to highlight from these uh, this first stretch of games. I mean, Lamar Stevens has been great. Uh, Josh Reeves has been doing all the Josh Reeves stuff that we've come to know and love. Shep Garner is... Uh he's Shep Gardner. There are games where he's great, their games where he's off a little bit. But uh coming to the year, Pat Chambers seemed really excited about Jamari Wheeler. And it seemed like you, you know, that might have just been Pat being a little hyperbolic as he can tend to be about things, but I can't remember Well, no, I won't say I can't remember, but it's really refreshing to just see a guard that young with the flaws that he has, and he has some pretty blatant flaws, like he's 1-for-10 on three-pointers for this season, like, things like that, but he just plays with a fearlessness that it brings something to this team that I think kind of uh, you know, rubs off on everybody else.
3: Yeah, I, I think that, that he you know, certainly has played himself into, into a role where he's a key part of the rotation already um you know his his defensive numbers so far this season speak for themselves so uh, you know he he's he's clearly a guy who brings energy um you know anytime he's on the court you know, one of the things that's been striking to me in the early going has been the effectiveness of the press that Penn State uses and Wheeler's part of that uh you know being a, you know a defensive player who can really uh, create some havoc Obviously, Reeves is you know the the you know, the leader in terms of that on this team, but as a whole, you know they've been they've been forcing turnovers, and Wheeler is one of the guys that's really been uh, really been involved in that. He had that one play where he had that chase down steal on a breakaway where he knocked it off the guy's hip. That was just an incredibly impressive play, um, you know. And you see just the the effect that his speed has anytime he's out there. You know, he's very quick. Going to the basket as well. It's opened some things up where he's been able to drive and kick it out, uh, get some open looks for guys. So no question that Wheeler has been, uh, been a, been uh, a pleasant surprise so far this season. And I think now a guy in the minds of Penn State fans that they're already relying on now is you know he's going to be an important part of the rotation here because there's still a lot of questions about the bench and the depth that this team has, uh, and and how that's going to impact the season as it goes on. Uh, but having a guy there that you have some reliable uh you know some some faith in to be reliable I think is a, is an important thing for this team and having another ball handler uh, you know so that you don't have to have you know one of Tony or Shep uh, running the show at all times, you know having one more guy who can who can uh, you know distribute handle the ball you know, worry about some of the presses that are going to get thrown their way when they are holding some leads. You know, there's no question. It's an important thing, and and Jamar Wheeler. It's been uh, been nice to see him contribute right out of the gate. For sure, it's
2: cra- it's crazy that he was going to go to Duquesne, and we just got lucky and snatched him up the last minute.
0: Yeah, take take that Duquesne. We take Jim Ferry, and we take. Uh... Probably the crown jewel. Well, he was kind of the crown jewel of Penn State's recruiting class, too.
3: I've always know, said yeah. Duquesne, Duquesne had it coming, and you know what? It, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's about time they had their comeuppance, and I'm glad to see that we're uh, we're the beneficiaries. They deserve this for that uh, one game
0: that Penn State played against them like two years ago where Duquesne hit approximately 70,000% of the threes that it took, and it was just an abomination. Was that the game where Jordan Dickerson missed a uh, breakaway it was run? Okay, yeah. Go State. Uh, Yeah, Eric. uh, So this is going to be... We're going to try to get back into the uh, rhythm of doing one of these weekly, if we can. Uh, And part of the reason why we're going to be doing one next week, even if we don't get into that rhythm, which considering it's the Hoops podcast, there's like a 95% chance that's the case, is because this next week for Penn State basketball, there are three games that it's going to play. And this is kind of... In the quote-unquote non-conference, uh, even though there are two conference games thrown into here, this is the most important stretch that Penn State's going to play before it gets into uh, full-time conference play. So can you give us a little preview of what you think we should expect and why this stretch is so important?
1: Yeah, No. well, I mean, it's their first... I mean, so like like we were talking about how like the first five or six games um, were all trash opponents, like 150-plus opponents, games they should have won, and they did. And then you had Texas A&M, who's like a Final Four caliber team. So, you know, we're trying to kind of find where in the middle does Penn State rank there. Um, and these next three games will definitely um, kind of give us that barometer. Um, you know, we, we we talked about it before with, the, with these stupid December conference games. Um, you know, as, as much as I've said they're stupid, I think they're going to actually kind of benefit Penn State here. Um, you know, because I, I wrote about in the preseason how, you know, with all everything that they were able to do over the offseason, everyone staying on campus for both summer sessions, them going to the Bahamas, having those 10 practices, working out with the alumni, um, having everybody back. This team should have been prepared to have this kind of start. Um, and now here's a big opportunity for them because, you know, the first game that they play, they're, they're, you know, is the Big Ten ACC Challenge game. That's on Wednesday. They're going to go to uh, North Carolina State. Um, North Carolina State is um, in the first year of Kevin Keats' uh, reign. They just fired Mark Garfrey last year. Um, They had lost Dennis Smith, obviously, to the NBA. Um, So nobody really knows kind of where the Wolfpack are. I mean, they they did upset Arizona uh, earlier this week in uh, in their exempt tournament in the Bahamas. But um, Arizona then proceeded to lose every single game in that tournament. So it's kind of like we don't. We're not really sure what to uh, how how we can judge the, the Wolf Pack yet. Um, so it's a road game. Um, they're rated 94 in Ken Palm, um, and and this is another this is a golden chance for Penn State to get a road win um, and really kind of you know the, uh, hopefully. So I, you know, before we talked too much on the NCAA tournament, um, I don't know if people realize this over the uh, over the summer the selection committee kind of changed how they're going to categorize um, quality wins. Um, they're putting more emphasis on road wins. Uh, so basically, you know, because they used to have those team sheets where it would be like 1 to 75 and then like 76 to 150 and that. Well, they're breaking it up now where column one, the tier one, which is the, the, the really quality games where Penn State's going to need to win, um, it's either going to be top 30 home games or top 75 road road games. So hopefully the Wolfpack can sneak into that top 75 um, cause then, then this would be considered what you would call a tier one game that would look like a quality win at the end of the season. Um, so they have this, like, that's the first big chance. And then the next big chance of the, the games following that, um, against Iowa and Wisconsin and kind of when that, that came out, that looked like those were two fifty fifty 50, games. Um, you know, you would obviously kind of assume that they would lose the game on the road and win the game at home. Um, so we were kind of hoping Penn State would split those games, um, but with how how shaky Iowa has looked in the early going, I mean that team's deep. France got a you know he's, he had a lot of sophomores back, and a lot of people were uh, chatting them up in the in the preseason. Um, they went to I forget where their tournament was, somewhere in the uh, Caribbean or wherever they were. I think um, it was the Cayman Islands. Cayman Islands, there we go. Um, and they dropped back-to-back games to Louisiana Lafayette and South Dakota State, so not shout general. out Mike Dom. Yeah, not terrible programs, but those are definitely games you would have expected Iowa to win. Um, so, you know, they have to bounce back. I'm looking at Iowa's schedule right now. They play at Virginia Tech in the um, in the challenge. You know, if they lose that game, you know, they're going to be coming home, losing like, losing 3 of 4 against a Penn State team that, like I said, we so far the Penn State has passed the eye test in the sense that they just, they look so much more confident, they look so much more determined that, I think this team's going to be able to win on the road. Um, so, so those are the first two games. So, like, so basically, and then and then they got Wisconsin at home. Um, and Wisconsin's another team that's lost three games already. Now they've played a much harder schedule. Uh, they lost to Xavier, Baylor, and UCLA, all close games. Um, you know, and they have Ethan Hap. So we can't judge too much of them either. But basically, right now, though, these all these games are winnable. Obviously. Um, and if we're gonna try to put some expectations on it, I would I would say Penn State has to win at least two of them, um, and and if they win three of them, that the momentum that that could generate, you know, going forward, having that two and zero conference start, um, going into December, that would be huge. Now, obviously, like I said, we don't want to, you know, one game at a time, um, but that's that's kind of the opportunity that's that's in front of them right now, um, with, with this week. Now, obviously. If things go the other way and they lose all three games, then we're going to be pretty miserable. But um, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, So, so we'll see. We'll see starting on Wednesday.
0: Yeah, and Chad, Eric put the, uh, you know, put the hope at two wins through this stretch. What has to happen in each game for Penn State to go three? Just really quickly, don't go too terribly deep into this. Like, what has to happen in each game? For Penn State to walk out of North Carolina State, Iowa, and Wisconsin with three wins,
2: uh, just keep defending like they have been this year. Um, enforce turnovers, get easy looks. Um, they're third in the nation in steel percentage. That's that'll win you a lot of games if you if you play like that, especially on the road. Um, you know, just just play play the same defense they've been playing, and and you know, try to manufacture stuff in the half court. Um, hopefully, Mike Watkins will have won't have issues. Garden um, Abu for North Carolina State, uh, Luca Garza for Iowa, and uh, Ethan Hat for Wisconsin, obviously. But um, you know, it, it's it, it, these these road games, especially, will be challenging. Um, at Iowa is never fun. Um, NC State is, you know, like like Eric said, it's under first-year coach Kevin Keats. They're they're capable of beating good teams. They beat Arizona. Arizona's obviously a very good team, despite the fact they lost those three games in the Bahamas. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's just going to be a lot of defending, hopefully, and, and manufacturing enough on offense to get by.
0: All right, Dan, I'm going to have you come in and say what has to happen for Penn State to make the NCAA tournament because I'll be 100% honest. I'm like half asleep right now, and I can't think of anything. Actually, Eric, is there anything you want to talk about?
1: No, well, I mean, so, like, kind of <laughs> what we were talking about. Um, Basketball you know, podcast. Like, no, like Chad was saying, like, you know, they had to defend the way they have been defending. Well, it's because they've been eating alive, these overmatched teams. Like, we got to see how much Penn State's athleticism is for real. I mean, because Texas A&M obviously had no issues um, scoring against them. Obviously, our, our press gave them some issues there in the second half that let Penn State get back in the game. But still, though, they scored 98 points against um, – against Penn right, State, so. I
2: th- I think that was more a function of just then having like, um, like great inside players that would you know. That, it what, it wasn't it was a, it was a
3: particular matchup that does not yeah. favor Penn State. Right. No,
1: I would agree. I would agree. Um, but also I was got a pretty big front line as well. Um, you know Tyler Cook would be their four man, um, and if Watkins has to be preoccupied with um, Garza or whoever their five man is. You know, I could see Cook's a beast. Um, I could see him giving us some issues, too. So kind of kind of in the same vein that Robert Williams did. Um, no, so we'll see. And then the other thing is, like we were talking about earlier with the bench, um, you know, Dan mentioned that earlier. We don't really know how good the bench is. They've come up big against lesser opponents. But, you know, Bostic did not look too comfortable against uh, the Aggies. He only ended up playing eight minutes because – I. I I don't think Chambers could trust him because in those eight minutes he did not look too. He was hesitant. Um, he tried. He tried to drive a few times, got lost in the trees, um, and unfortunately wasn't able to contribute much. And, and yeah, he, out-
3: he's he's really you know mostly a defender. He does not have uh, an offensive game beyond you know it,
1: just the things that his athleticism
3: allows him to do.
1: Yeah. But his athleticism has allowed him to drive to the hole, you know, get some buckets at the rim. Um, you know, I think he sell his his offensive game a little bit short just because he he's looked a lot. He looks like a completely different player than last year. Um, but we just have to see it um, against better competition. So that's why it's kind of like that's what these three games will do. It's, it these are the types of games that they're going to have to win more often than not if they're going to make a run at the postseason. So um, that's really what I'm looking forward to. Um, Jamari, I mean, Jamari, I think is legit. Uh, now he's going to be a low usage player on offense, especially if he's paired with Tony, um, in the half court, Tony's going to be the one still making plays. Um, but we've seen what Wheeler can do, especially in the press and jumping, passing lanes and getting out and getting those fast break runouts. Um, but as far as the rest of the bench, you know, we could yeah, talk about Pearson I, more. I,
0: I was actually going to, about to say that this was one thing I wanted to talk about. Like We've spent most of this podcast talking about how good Penn State has looked, and even in a loss, how Penn State, the positives we were able to take away from that. It seems to me, and Dan, we'll start with you on this, the big concern with this team, it's it's still its bench, namely the fact that when Mike Watkins picks up foul number two, if he gets auto-benched in that situation... We're kind of biting in our fingernails at times while, uh, you, you know, Satchel Pierce is getting up to speed, unless this is what he is, at which case he's, you know, it's going to be a lot of picking of spots with him. And Julian Moore, we know what he is at this point. So is that the big concern going forward? Penn State's bench, namely in the front court?
3: I think it's the probably the biggest concern. It's not the only one, um, you know. I, and and frankly, it was shocking to me in the game against A and M that things didn't fall apart when uh, Watkins picked up the second foul. You know, they hung in it, and that you know, that's a testament to uh, Tony Carr and the the offensive performance that he put on in that first half and was able to to you know hit some really impressive tough shots to to keep Penn State uh, you know at pace with A and M. Um, but you know, th- that's definitely a concern, and it's not just you know the backups for Watkins they don't really have a backup four for Lamar Stevens you know it's nominally Davis and Gullahs uh you know they, they essentially have Wheeler as the backup one and Bostic as the first wing off the bench and then after that not really anything so you know it's it's a situation where you know anything in the front court you know uh including the the four position they really don't have anything on the bench that they can rely on uh you know so an injury would be devastating Uh, you know, foul trouble is always a constant concern with this team and there are going to be teams, you know, every team knows that, that getting a guy like Watkins into foul trouble is a, uh, you know, a recipe for success here. Not every team can exploit that, but a team like A&M could, they're going to be facing as, as Eric said, some teams in this upcoming stretch that also have that ability uh, to, to attack them in the front court and go after him. Um, you know, so it's going to be a matter of coaching around it. Um, you know, and trying to to come up with game plans that can that can mask some of those deficiencies. And that's not an easy task. You know, a lot of the coaching in college basketball, as we know is is recruiting and developing talent. and unfortunately for Penn state, uh, and and most programs, I'd say of Penn State's history and caliber, recruiting uh, the front courts a very tough uh, challenge. And getting a guy like Watkins has been a blessing for this team. But beyond that, they haven't been able to find somebody anywhere close to uh, you know the level of Watkins, and you know so it's a very steep drop off. The the lack of a backup four is is a pretty glaring hole as well. When you have you know times where you need to pull Lamar Stevens out of the game, it's tough, and it's going to continue to be an issue. And it's going to be very important for this team to have its starting five healthy, available, and playing consistently as much as possible to try to you know make up for the the time periods where they can't have those five on the court.
0: Yeah, Chad, is that? is that your big concern in the team or is there something beyond depth issues that you think that has kind of manif- has manifested itself in any way over these first, uh, seven games that you think that you're a little bit concerned about, maybe not to the level of depth or anything like that, but it- you still have your guard up.
2: No, it's basically depth. I mean, I think the, the starting five, uh, can compete with just about, just about any team on except for like maybe the top tier teams in, in the nation. Um, you know, I mean, the way they played the first half against Am and M was was all the evidence I need to see of that. So, um, I really just think it is what can they get from Pearson, Moore, and Bostic, and and Wheeler just to you know, stem the tide. If if one of those guys gets if Stevens or or Carr or or Watkins gets in foul trouble, what do they do? Um, how do they respond? So, um, that's basically the concern. I mean, the three point shooting has been improved this year. I, you know, I haven't. There's no reason to worry about that. Uh, they've been able to get the ball inside. They're in the top 100 in the nation in two-point percentage. Um, so a lot of the fears that I think we had were uh, have you know I, I guess that is again that is a function of playing teams that are not that great. But I mean, the way they play against Pitt and A and M kind of laid some of those fears. But yeah, the depth is still just the main issue. I think.
1: I think chefs the concern.
0: Oh yeah, okay. definitely.
3: Oh uh, yeah, yeah and, and that's yeah. No, I, we 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 did. Bury the lead a bit with that. That I, I, is true.
0: I was going to say we, we. I think anyone who follows uh, you on Twitter, Eric, might understand what your concerns are about Shep. But just elaborate on that a little bit.
1: Well, no, yeah. So I mean, obviously the bench is definitely the bigger concern, but Shep, um, he, you know, obviously the hook coming in already was you know senior leader, you know, less less role on offense, just to shoot, um, which is something that he. Definitely enjoys doing. He takes a lot of shots. Um, but, you know, the returns so far have been – he's already – like, we're already on the roller coaster ride with him. He, he came out the first two games and was shooting terrible, shot a bunch of bricks after he looked great in the preseason. Um, and then he stepped up big in those games that we were talking about with um, those injuries with – when Carl was out in Reeves, he came up with some big threes. Um, and then that Texas A&M game, he was, he was not – he was the wink link, honestly, in our in the starting lineup. Um, you know, actually, like subbing him out and putting Jamari in is uh, what kind of kept Penn State in that game because uh, Shep kind of just, um, you know, obviously he's got the broken nose. We can't like act like that's not something that he's dealing with, and he's he's had the mask on, and then he's taken the mask off. Um, ever since he's taken the mask off um, in that Texas A&M game, he's he's back to being the frustrating guy who's not the knockdown shooter that, you know, we kind of hope that he could be. Um, so at this point, you know, already with the early returns, I, th- I feel like I've s- we've seen enough that his three points going to kind of come and go. Um, and when the three point shot isn't going, what what else can he contribute? Now, I, I think people undersell his defense sometimes. I think he takes more charges than anybody in the team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he doesn't have the the Reeves and the Bostic athleticism. Um, but he can definitely stay in front of his man. So people sometimes like when his shot's not working, he still plays hard and he still contributes on that end. But at the same time though, you know, Wheeler, Wheeler could start taking more and more of those minutes, honestly. Um, you know, w- we'll see how it goes. I mean, right now, what's he shooting? He's shooting 33% from three through, uh, seven games on 54 attempts. That's a lot of attempts. Um, what, what is that? 54, seven games. It's like what? Eight attempts a game um just and, just about yep yeah if he's going to take eight threes man i want to see him hitting like at least three of them um and 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 he has not been reliable in that role so uh you know the texas A&M game you know a lot of people i've already saw like a lot of people commenting oh they're they're missing free throws free throws are going to be a problem um oh they they shot so poorly from three which they did um you know, the three-point the three shooting was more of an issue because I, I know Shep had a couple garbage threes there at the end, but I think when the game was still in in play that we only had, like, two or three made threes for the whole game, and they were all from Tony. Um, so, so Shep's definitely concerned as well because when he's not making threes, that kind of d- limits um, the firepower um, that this team can have offensively because obviously Tony Carr's not going to shoot 65% from three for the year. And
0: he, he's... In a way, it's kind of like everything with Julian Moore in that we know what he is at this point. Uh, you know, you take what you get from him, with the difference being that on Shep's best days, he's going to go, you know, 7 for 11 from 3 or something and just, like, get scorching hot and give an element to the game that, you know, no one on the team really can give. But I I think it's really, it's really fun that... You know, even though we're only seven games into the season, when I'm saying what are the concerns, They're these things that are very legitimate, very valid, but there are also still, you, you know, it feels like the positives outweigh them at least through this point in uh, the campaign for the Nittany Lions. That's a nice feeling, and I we're going to learn a lot about the team over the next uh, the next three games: North Carolina State and Iowa on the road, Wisconsin at the Bryce Jordan Center. Uh, should be fun. Uh, also fun is, uh, before I do this segue, is there anything else y'all want to talk about?
2: Penn state wise? Uh, yeah. We got a commit in the last, uh, since the last podcast. Oh
0: yes, we have Chad. Uh, the four is yours. Uh,
2: his name is, uh, pardon if I botched this, but it is, uh, Daniel Kasatkin. Uh, that's my best effort at that. Uh, he is a Russian, uh, playing in, uh, Virginia to prep school. Um, he's six seven apparently, and uh, has point guard skills. Probably going to play the wing for Penn State, uh, or maybe get some minutes at the one in a backup situation. Uh, no other offers, uh, so maybe a little concerning that uh, you know Pat doesn't have a great history of turning these zero star gems into into anything tangible. Uh, we can see with the Davis and uh, recruitment and his career so far, but um, I like what I saw on tape from him. He seems like he has a really good vision. Good ball handling skills, uh, pretty good shooter, um, but we'll see. You know, I, this is this is kind of a gamble by Pat to use uh, a scholarship that he doesn't technically have. Uh, I mean, there are rumors about, uh, you know, somebody could, could leave or graduate early, but um, yeah, it's it's definitely a gamble. But uh, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, uh, the what was he called? By, <coughs> excuse me, I'm dying. Uh, what was he called by one person who like?
2: Nose by one Russia. person on Twitter by that yeah. one
0: person on Twitter, like the best <laughs> Russian point guard of his generation. It,
2: it was like three years ago, too. But, yeah. um, you know, obviously he hasn't uh, progressed at the rate at that kind of rate or maybe just maybe, you know, it could just be Russia basketball is not good, uh, which, you know, I don't really follow the international game that much, but I'm sure that's the case. So, um, yeah, but, I mean, he, he looks like he has some kind of game. You know, I don't think he's uh, just a nobody, um, but definitely a gamble.
3: He's got some game, I've got some game theory. On the, on the <laughs> Russian influence in America right now.
2: Yeah, he uh, I I was
0: very upset that uh our pal Eric uh Eric, give me a second. I don't want to mess this up. Eric Garland didn't uh Not Eric Gibson, Eric Garland. <laughs> yes, correct. Yeah. Let <laughs> me be clear about that. Yes, Eric I had to Gibson take a
3: Twitter. Eric Gibson does not participate in lengthy Twitter threads. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> our, our Eric about, uh, uh, yeah. has
0: has not renamed uh, Moscow mules, democracy donkeys, or uh, whatever Eric Garland.
2: These are all because,
0: very you know, but, freedom. But we, we don't, don't want to <laughs>
3: really took hold in <laughs> These free. are all
0: very <laughs> niche jokes. So no, we, uh, don't wanna, we don't
2: want we don't want to dox Eric Garland's uh, secret Penn State basketball. I <laughs> okay.
0: Or, yeah, yeah. That'd be uh, that'd be something. Yeah, uh, so let's talk about the Big Ten, just because I know Dan wants to—I uh, want to join Dan in calling for Richard Petino to be out of a job.
3: <laughs> that was the—I Well, I mean, look, it, it's, it was a very unique situation, I'll give that. You know, you don't really—I think, as James Franklin would say about the, uh, about the weather delay, you know, you don't really have something in the, uh, in the manual for a situation like that. That said, what was he doing? I mean the he stopped co- you have, he stopped coaching and his players
0: stopped playing. They were just like what if we just passed the ball around and then took a 14-foot jump shot and maybe that'll get the job done. I really well, I mean I, the, the
3: way to to be, I mean it was clear to everyone there that they, you know, and, and it, it it makes a lot of sense. The three guys that were left for Alabama were exhausted. So why would you not just want to run them out of the gym and and just attack and and create more and more possessions I think they get,
2: felt that. Out?
3: I think it was yeah, I think thing when Petty went down, yeah. Yeah, there was definitely, I felt Which, like some human was, nature there. When it was a double-digit lead, fine, but how do you not make the adjustment when they start chipping away? That's the thing that boggled my mind there was that they couldn't, you know, they couldn't get it to the point there where it actually, you know, when it when it started getting a little dicey, they couldn't just, you know, you know t- change the game plan. You know, there was <laughs> no... It didn't. I, you know, I get that. That's the original instinct. You're just saying, okay, let's, you know, let's hit some threes. You know, we'll we'll you know make it tough for them on offense, but we won't try to embarrass them, whatever. But then Colin Sexton starts going off, and it's like, all right, well, yeah, you know, let's call timeout. Let's let's you know ramp it up here because we gotta get the W. It got it, to
2: that three never points. happened. It got it to never, three points. It got got and like, never like,
0: had the ball. Three. Like Colin Sexton <laughs> was hitting some just ridiculous shots where.
3: He's no, like he, you double teamed the Section had an incredible performance. There's no he question like about two that. Or three, but three, it was three, not three. like the defense was was doing everything it could to to step up to him. He was getting opportunities he should not have been able to get. They were not they weren't easy, but it wasn't like they were doing everything they could.
1: I mean, yeah, but again, that goes back to like the human nature of it because it was just like the fact that they were like, I mean, as soon as <laughs> As soon as those guys all got ejected from the bench, like I don't know if you guys saw, like Minnesota was like so supremely confident, like oh this we don't even have anything to worry about anymore. Um, and then those two guys pretty much went, you know, the one foul out and then the one injury kind of happened almost like two minutes right after that. Um, and, and when they're when they had the ball in the half court, you're right, like they did stop playing because um, Alabama wasn't playing any defense because those three guys were completely exhausted and they were just in this like packed in triangle. That I just felt like Minnesota just kind of fell asleep because they, they were just kinda of like, Are you serious? Like you're just gonna like no one's gonna guard me and I can just like step into a shot like this and okay, They got we'll
0: bored. But what was funny and, is that and, yeah.
3: and strategically on defense, they they were they were doubling Sexton, but they weren't doubling the ball sometimes. And they were going like they were going with a triangle against the other two. So and that allowed a couple of the other guys a couple of times to get you know relatively decent looks going to the basket because they it was it was back to like a one-on-one situation they they weren't doubling the ball every time which was a very odd decision as well
1: yeah i don't know i I didn't think it was like because i didn't see the game live i saw i saw all the twitter reaction everyone was rightfully like yeah what is patino doing but once i watched the tape i mean i don't i mean it was bad because you're right like alabama actually had the ball with a chance to tie the game um And that would have been been nuts. I would hope that if that happened, the switch finally would have went off for Minnesota. And when they had the ball that they would actually like attack the rim relentlessly and really would have started playing with some urgency. But they were just bleeding the clock. And um, I don't know, I just never really felt like the game was in doubt until like, I, I don't even think I would have felt the game was in doubt until they actually had tied the game. I think you know I you? think it's
3: no I mean, when I was watching when they had that possession where they they uh, lost the offensive rebound and gave the ball back to Minnesota, I think it was like a five point game at that point. Then it was like you know just a couple more mistakes, you know, a couple shots by Sexton and suddenly this could you know it could flukily you know and, yeah. it, this it could happen you know I don't know how it ever gets to that point. That was the thing I get at the beginning, it's tough to do, a little motivation, but when Sexton starts going, you, you know you get the guys over there and you just say, look, this is a legitimate player here. You know, you need to take this seriously. You need to do, it. and it never seemed like any, you know, it ever clicked with Minnesota that they needed to do that at any point. They kind of got away with it, which mm-hmm. is mind boggling to say. They kind of got away with a just a very poor performance in the second half against, you know, a, a, you know, a, an, an unprecedented yeah. situation.
1: Yeah. Well, that's You're, never. Well, here's my thing. That's never going to happen again, and I, I don't think. Well, yeah. Were... So, so uh, yeah. So the part where
3: I said uh, on Twitter where Richard Pitino should be fired immediately, I may have been overstating things a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> no, <that's not laughs> I just want to make that clear. Maybe he shouldn't be fired for beating Alabama by six. You know, in sort of a, 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 an odd situation there. But in the lamest um, fashion ever. Yeah. I think he should feel bad. and I- I think uh, I think I'm gonna try my best to make him feel bad, and I well, it's a, hope it's a,
2: it is like a no-win situation for him though. Like yeah. when you're playing five on three, I'm like, not you, saying you,
3: that there's you know there was a way where we, you know you crown him after the game for no, uh, no, yeah, I know, thing. but like, it, but it's I think true. I think it, it, there were some obvious things that he he should have done that he didn't.
2: But if you uh, if you blow them out, it's like a bad look. It's poor sportsmanship or whatever. Because they had, like the injury well, Yeah, no, was, like, not I don't
3: good. think they should have tried to win by thirty. But you know, when they start chipping away, you have to you have to do things. A you have little to bit try, and they never, they never. Right. Yeah, exactly. You have you have to try, and you have to, you know, make some well, tweaks. On you know, I would have attacked the rim more. You know, they were they were. Yeah, they trying. should
1: have. That, that's really yeah. what they should have done because they easily could have just all of them could have just had clear lanes to the to the basket, and they weren't. Um, but the other thing is like Avery Johnson, like or I, I forget what the score was, but um, Minnesota got the ball back with like forty-five seconds left, and they did not elect to foul and try to extend the game. I I thought they were,
0: and I might have just it was you just misremembered a four-point game. I've- yeah, but I thought like they might have been calling for it to fa- calling for a foul, and like Minnesota was just staying packed in or something like. That. Like, oh I,
3: no,
1: no, Alabama it, refused the foul. Okay, no, okay.
3: no, I know what they were trying to do. I mean, the thought was, I think it was there was like an eleven second differential between the the game yeah. clock and the shot clock, and what they were trying to do is they were trying to force a miss, get the ball back with eleven, you know, come down, hit a three, and then and be able be it. able to foul and have an opportunity to tie it at the end. What That's what the saying, thought like, process there. Which I get, you know, you, you're trying to limit the number of possessions where you need Sexton to hit a shot down to two, but yeah. um, you know, which which you know, I I thought Avery Johnson did a terrific job, you know, all things considered, you know, he they they actually had some you know ideas of ways to free up Sexton just enough to get a look, uh, you know, they I mean, right. he was in there, he was drawing up plays, it was it was, it was something to watch. Yeah, sure. but
0: Chad, think, Chad, really quickly, can you do an Avery Johnson impression for us?
3: No, I cannot. Okay,
2: no.
0: All right,
1: continue, Eric. Yeah, no, I mean... Do you honestly think, though, that what Avery Johnson was trying to draw up actually is what happened? Because they were, like, blitzing... There were some times where they were triple-teaming Sexton. um, And I just felt like a lot of that was just him creating, like, 45 feet from the hoop because they were double-teaming him. And then he would eventually somehow find a way to turn the corner and then hit these off-balance threes. It was ridiculous. I couldn't believe... Sexton was just killing it and just I thought he was just carrying him on his own um no they were and there were some times they were on that broadcast so they, they were going in the huddle and I remember Sexton was trying to go at somebody um towards the end there I forget what number he said but um I don't know I, I, yeah I, I
3: think I, I don't think there's any question Yeah, there's not much in the in the way of plays necessarily that they can try to run. I do think that the strategy and what they were going over was more personnel based and who they wanted to try to attack
1: yeah yeah well I think the the most important thing that no one's going to take away from that game is the fact that Minnesota was running them out of the building at full full strength. So Minnesota's now 7 and 0 and other than Michigan State, I think they're the the one of the top teams in the league for sure. Um,
2: that was like the best non-conference win at the time for the Big 10 too. So yeah. Eric's, I
1: Eric's against advice the three team three man Alabama.
0: Eric's advice Honestly. if you were playing Minnesota, play them 3 on 5.
3: Uh yeah. Uh, my team is on yeah. the floor. <laughs> what? Do you, you ever seen Hoosiers, Bill? Yeah, come yeah. on, Bill. What the hell?
0: I, Hoosiers, you seen Hoosiers? A, No. I've seen it, but it's like... Uh,
3: you the, remember the with famous scene where they only have four guys, and he goes, Hey, Coach, you need one more? And he goes, My team is on the floor? I, I, come on, man. I, come on, you Bill. You're a, a, white, you're a white basketball Aren't you a basketball
2: guy? guy? Here?
3: Come on. I... I uh, I mean, I... That's a bad miss on your part. No, I no.
0: I, I, I don't think Hoosiers is a great movie. There. I said it. I put there's it no, There's nothing there's wrong with that. that. Good. Good. Yeah. So I don't... There's nothing wrong with that, it's Listen, here. That I put space in my brain. Dennis Hopper
3: gave the performance of a lifetime.
0: I put space in my brain for two movies because there are two movies that I think are good, and that's Kingsman and Mad Max Fury Road. Other than that, every movie is just like kind of whatever. Oh, I thought you were
1: going to say Space Jam.
0: Space Jam is a terrible movie. I love Space Jam dearly, but it's a god-awful movie. Well,
1: I, didn't know, I didn't know how you correlated that with how much you love a movie versus what your actual opinion of the quality of the movie is.
0: You're a Penn State basketball fan. And you don't know how someone can love something
3: I just, that is I just. I think if you're going to talk about Space Jam, we do need to talk about Danny DeVito as the GM of the, of the Monstars. Oh, yeah, or, and, <laughs> and his decision, if he's, he's going to put together a, a five where he can basically choose anybody. <laughs> And, he and, he, picks, and, uh, his, and his and his and his big man is is Sean Bradley.
0: Sean Bradley. Sean Bradley. That's
3: right. Yeah. Sean At Kemp Sean, would have been a much better choice Sean, than yeah, Sean, Sean, Sean Ge- Bradley.
0: Sean. Well, Sean Kemp would have been fine. And then he also picked up Muggsy Bogues.
3: Well, Muggsy's a nice player, but Sean Bradley couldn't couldn't uh, you know throw the ball into the hoop if he was standing on top of
2: it. I think that was just for sort the of like, yeah. like the comedic effect of having Sean Bradley yes. and Muggsy Bogues on the same team.
0: Yeah, because there is one shot where there are shots where they are like next to each other in the movie, so
2: right. I suppose. Also, side note, one of my friends actually thought uh Bill Murray's name was Dan Aykroyd for years <laughs> after seeing the movie. Oh man. Uh so we've uh,
3: reached, uh, uh, That's a, yeah, it, it was a, it was a funny line. It was when, a good line. You, yeah. does, my favorite did, line in that he movie. He didn't take it as a joke, his, so yeah. My, my favorite line in that movie is when Bill Murray's in the huddle and he uh and uh and he starts drawing up a play, and they correct him and tell him that that uh, you know, the other team has the ball. and He just goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa I don't play defense."
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we've reached the portion of the podcast where we're not talking about Penn State basketball, or really back to, back any to the Big Ten now. and how garbage it is. Uh, yeah. So do you guys want to keep talking about the Big Ten, or is that this like the tipping point for where we should start wrapping things up? Uh, no. I was, well, I, well, hold on. I want to go, go back ahead, to. Go
3: ahead. Well, I'll, I'll let this finish with the Big Ten conversation, but I would I do want to come back to what your issue with Hoosiers is. <laughs>
0: We'll talk about it off the air.
3: You don't think people want to hear about a? Yeah, uh, I want to hear this about too. a this movie. Is, this,
0: guys, we keep talking about starting a Patreon, and you want to spill all the good stuff on the air. Come on.
3: Well, we don't have a Patreon. Can, yet.
0: I can record this separately and put it onto a Patreon.
3: I think we need to. I think. I think. I'm. I. I'm going to disagree with you on that one.
0: Okay, I well, stand with I, you. I'm the person. Big ten. Who's, I'm recording this, so it's up to big me. Ten. Go
1: ahead, yes, big time.
3: It's bad. Yes, yeah, right, so, it's not
1: good. Yeah, we're going to go ahead. The reality is, we're going to have to just accept the fact that the the strength of schedule is going to be a hot topic for Penn State through the duration of this schedule. Um, I mean, we knew it was going to, or duration of the season, we knew it was going to be bad. Like when the non conference schedule came out, um, we talked about it, how Delaney with these two games and how. You know, when you're Penn State, you're always at the bottom of the rung for all the conference-affiliated events like the ACC Challenge and, um, you know, the Gather games, you know, so.
3: So it made this NC State game a massive game for them.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, it is because they, they have nothing else on their resume. And then, you know, usually most years you can at least make up for that in the league. Um, but the way the league has looked last week, you know, all these exempted tournaments have been going on all across the country. We already touched on Iowa losing a couple Purdue lost to Western Kentucky. Um, you know, the, the league as a whole has just looked thoroughly average at best Northwestern lost by 36 points to Texas tech. Um, Ohio state blew a 15 point lead today to Butler with three minutes to go. Um, it's it's bad, um, and it's it's concerning to the point where right now, if you go on Kempom, Penn State is the fifth-rated Big Ten team with an 11 and 7 projected conference record, and the reality is that might not be enough. Because um, I mean, I was trying to talk about that earlier this on this pod about how you know those quality wins and how they're broken up in these tiers now this year and how it's different. Um, you know, they only get Minnesota, Michigan State, and Purdue once. Um, you know, usually most years you want Penn State to have the easiest Big Ten schedule because you're like, hey, this will be, this will be fine. This year we're gonna, we're gonna hope, we're gonna wish that we had those teams twice or at least one of those teams. I mean, I think we got Maryland twice. Uh, Maryland should should still be a pretty good team on paper, um, but didn't they? They just lost two, right? Didn't Maryland lose? Do you guys yeah. know
2: St. Bonaventure? Yeah.
1: Yeah, they lost St. Bonaventure. Now, St. Bonaventure. Half decent, but yeah. So, so like,
0: who, who's St. Bonaventure's point? I can ever remember his name. Jalen Adams.
1: Jaylen, he was out for that game, no? Uh, I do not he, know.
2: He, yeah, he did. He was. I, he didn't play. He maybe. did not play.
1: All
2: right. Yeah, Yeesh. that's not good.
1: Yeah, so yeah, it's K&L. just it's like you know. I mean, obviously, it's early. You know this this challenge um, coming up now. The pro- coming in this Big Ten ACC challenge. There's 14 games. I think the Big Ten will be favored in maybe five of them. So if they get sw- if they get stomped in this challenge, that's just going to, you know, fuel this perception that the Big Ten's weak. Um, and and a lot of – I don't know if you guys looked at other, other Big Ten schedules. A lot of them are a lot like Penn State's. The only problem is, is, like, these other teams are playing better. You know, they get a better challenge opponent. They get the Gavit games, and they play, you know, exempt tournaments that are – have just as good of competition. And a lot of them will always have, like, the rivalry games. Like, Illinois plays Missouri. Uh, Nebraska will usually play Creighton. Um, and that's something that I, we got to – Some not not on this podcast. We got to talk about, like, when, <laughs> how Penn State can schedule better um, and, and find some of these home-and-home home annual games that some of these other teams have that helps boost their schedule. But they all, like, the rest of the conference filled out their schedules with a bunch of filler games too. So – Computer-wise, um, RPI-wise, strength of schedule is going to be a, a very big concern. I'm already kind of concerned that 11 conference wins won't be enough for them to get in the tournament.
2: Again, thanks a lot, Jim Delaney, for this uh, Big Ten tournament a week early. Really, just helping everybody out.
1: Yeah, it's ugh, it's going to be so annoying if they go 11-7 and seven and somehow are on the outside of the pool. And we'll have to wait that out for <laughs> yeah. two weeks. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's... I mean, if Penn State is relatively safe at the end of the tournament, which, I mean, I that, that seems like, I don't know if that's a smart thing to consider or not. Like, hell, taking that extra week to rest and recover and whatnot is awesome. But, yeah, otherwise, yeah.
2: On the pit bo- uh, broadcast, Bob Waschusen was, was suggesting that. Oh, yeah, Bob Waschusen was like should, all about. You saying, yeah. oh, schedule a Division two team. But what if you lose the Division two team? Then what? Or what are you going to yeah. do? Uh, was like
0: this uh, before or after the uh, – uh, Steph Curry cameo that
2: I uh, believe it was before. That's it was before heart. when they
3: were yeah they were really trying hard to fill some airtime and he had this and and I think the two of them couldn't figure out whether they were talking about it being an exhibition or whether it was actually going to count and which is when they started talking about <laughs> what if you lose like it <laughs> it made no sense at all.
0: Yeah, well, it, I, I mean it was an ESPN three broadcast, correct? It was. Yeah, well, we don't have the highest of standards for.
3: Well, they they were doing a, a double header, and clearly they had all of their research time had been on uh, the the previous game between A uh, and M and Oklahoma State. They really didn't have much in the in the way of uh, it was one step above the student you broadcast, where they neglected to mention that Josh Reeves wasn't playing.
2: Ah, okay. And I, well, and I like Bob with shoes too, but
3: yeah, uh, it's not not his best. Not, he, yeah, did, Penn State basketball is not on his radar. So it was
0: kind that. of it was kind of Fair like whatever Stephen Bardo does a Penn State basketball game. Cause I like I had it on you and was watching other things. So. Yeah,
1: have you guys heard Robbie Hummel yet? Robbie Hummel rules. He sounds just like Jay Billis. Like the tone of his voice. Oh, really? Like, like I, I, I turned it on. I was like, "Yo, I thought I think this is Jay Billis," and then it turned out like, "No, wait, this is Robbie Hummel." And you know, he's good. Like, he's he's a natural in the booth. Like, he, and obviously Hummel's you know pretty. You know, I, he's he's like what our age. Like, I feel like he's like yeah. a year older than me. So he just. Probably retired from playing overseas or however many knee injuries he had. But, um, yeah, he's he's great to listen to, but he just sounds a lot like Bill. It's it's freaky. Well, and, and who's he working for? Uh, he, yeah, he was on ESPN3 fan.
2: ESPN? Okay. Oh, was he? He was in the studio for BTN for some stuff, too, I think.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, I think, he's, I think he might be both Fox and ESPN, but I'm not sure, though. Don't uh, hopefully,
3: hopefully he's on some of the Penn State broadcasts.
1: Yeah, yeah we'll see. See if we get him. Yeah. So
0: I think it's high time to wrap this episode up. Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, thank you for listening as always. Uh, subscribe to the podcast and all the various ways that you can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, head over to iTunes. Give us a five-star review. Uh, say some nice things about us. All that fun happy crap. Buy some shirts. Follow us on Twitter at RL, Blog, Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, keep reading and supporting the site. All that stuff. We'll have Hoops content coming throughout the year, uh, especially once football wraps up and we can really start focusing on Penn State basketball because it is the only winter sport at Penn State uh, that anyone cares about, not wrestling. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, thanks for listening to this edition of the podcast. For Dan Smith, for Chad Marculix, for Eric Gibson, I'm Bill Filippo. Take care, everyone.
2: Fire Rich Patino.